Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Thank you, Stephanie. Good morning, everyone, um, and welcome. Uh, When we started this church, uh, both even thinking about it 10 years ago, almost 12 years ago, I think, uh, to even last year, there were a few Sundays that I know I was really looking forward to. The, The biggest one was Baptism Sunday, and we did that a few months ago baptized a couple guys, uh, Serhei and Corey. Also learned a lot from that process. We baptized Corey in about three inches of water because we're a new church and we didn't know how long it took to fill up the hot tub. Uh, we do believe he's fully saved, not just his back half. But, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so Baptism Sunday has been like the apex of what I've been looking forward to. I also have been really excited for the first time to do a child dedication. And, uh, and if you didn't know, that's today. If you can't tell, there's like a million people over here that aren't normally over here. I just feel like slanted. And, uh, and so today's child dedication. And one of the things that uh, this signifies to at least me, and I think it should signify to us, is we talk a lot about being a family here. Talk a lot about the church is a family. And it's made up, of course, of like individual nuclear families of one, two, as big as seven um, people, but we really, really think that the church coming together and saying, no, we want to see this child, this baby raised in the fear and the wisdom of the Lord is a big family move. It's a big family win for us this morning. And so I know you're here for them. Maybe you're here for the music. You're just ready for me to be finished. I'm going to move quickly, but thoroughly as we go through Acts. And after this week, uh, Acts 10 is kind of a pivotal chapter, chapter, whoa, chapter in the book of Acts. And, uh, and after this, it goes one missionary journey after another of Paul. This is kind of the dividing point of the theology and the setting up of the church and then to the expansion of it. And so we're going to take a break after this week. We will finish Acts, but we're going to do a couple other uh, little sermon series in the summer. And then in the fall, we're going to finish through the book of Acts. It's going to be great. Uh, but for right now, we're in Acts 10. Uh, I have some good news, some bad news. Good news is, as I was studying this week um, and like read Acts 10 a few times, I am, and I was already convinced before, but I am more convinced than ever that this book is true. I'm more convinced than ever that this book doesn't tell a bunch of stories or 66 individual stories with a bunch of different characters. I'm very convinced that this book tells one story of one primary character, God, and his journey, his process of bringing his people back into relationship with him. And Acts 10 is just one of those moments in the New Testament when you're like, this thing has to be true. I don't have enough faith to not believe that all of these things that have been woven throughout this book can't line up. And that's the good news, is I think you're going to experience at least a little bit uh, the way that this book has pointed to one story and one God. Here's the bad news. Um, And most of you have told me this isn't bad news to you, but maybe for some, is that we uh, have to read a lot of the old to to understand the new. 
And, and so here's my sarcastic apology. You're going to hear a lot of the Bible this morning. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know you came for the kids. You came for the music. We're going to read a lot of the first part of this book in order to make sense of Acts 10 towards the end. And, uh, and so here's what you need to know. In 15 minutes, relevance is coming. Relevance is coming, but it's going to take us a ways to get there. We're going to be in Acts 10, but like most good messages of mine, it's going to, if there has been any, it's going to start in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, if you want to sound smart, it's the Abrahamic covenant, and it's the foundation of the rest of the Old Testament and the things that are coming out of that. And Jesus becomes the fulfillment of this prophecy, of this promise that God makes to a man named Abram. So Genesis 12, 1 through 3, there's no nation of Israel, there's no Jewish people, there's no law, there's just a man right now. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse whoever curses you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Quick summary, God makes um, one promise, three parts. He says, Abram, you have no land. You, you own nothing right now, but I'm going to give you land. And then he says, you're, uh, I think, about 80 years old here. Your wife's 70 at this time. I'm going to give you descendants. And not just like one or two. I'm going to give you enough descendants that you become a great nation that fills this land. And then he says, after that, I'm going to bless the nations through you. Not a nation, but plural, nations. And so if you read right after Genesis, and if we had time, we'd go to Genesis 48, and we'd probably go to Joshua and probably 1 Samuel, and we'd see within a relatively short amount of time, God makes good on the first two parts of that promise. These people become a nation, the descendants are numerous, they get land, they take land, and for the rest of the 1,500 years of the Old Testament, after uh, 2,000 years after Abraham, we start to just see some prophecies, maybe some promises, but nothing starts to culminate on the fact that there's no blessing to other nations. This thing is still a very one race, one country, one kind of people thing for 2,000 years after that promise. Now, I want you to put a pause there. I want you to remember that. And I want you to go, and I'm sure you guys read this this week, but I want you to go to Leviticus 11. I know. You just did your devotional this morning. You already read it. You've memorized verse 26. I get it. For those of us that haven't, I want to read Leviticus 11:26 because one of the ways God said, I'm going to make you special is I'm going to give you this law. And one part of the law is going to be a dietary restriction, a dietary law that sets you apart from other people. So Leviticus 11:26, every animal that does not have a divided hoof or that does not chew the cud is unclean for you. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them will be unclean. And so this is part of God's way of saying, here's this nation. They're now Israel. They're going to take some land soon. Here's how I want to set you apart from every other nation. I want you to eat differently. I want you to worship differently. But the things that you eat are going to be more limited than what everybody else in the world can eat. This is how they're going to know that you are different. And this is the way things are for thousands of years. This, and this is God. It's, it's important to remember this isn't some weird religious thing. This is how God sets apart his people. And we start to get some like allusions to maybe one day this would be fulfilled. Maybe one day this, uh, this dietary law will be eventually uh, gotten rid of. But we don't really see much of that until a Jewish carpenter rabbi comes onto the scene 2,000 years later. 
And he said a lot of things that bucked up against the law and the religious leaders, uh, and that's eventually what gets him killed. One of the things that he says, and this doesn't get a whole lot of notoriety, is in Mark 7, and he says this, look, I know, I know you've heard it said that it's what goes into the body that makes you unclean, but I say that it's actually what comes out of the body that makes you unclean. And for 21st century Americans, we're like, yeah, of course, like, I can eat whatever I want, but as soon as I start gossiping or lying or um, being angry, that reveals my heart. That makes total sense to us. But to a Jew in the first century, that was revolutionary. That's not the way things worked. And Jesus said, no, no, no. There's coming a change. There's coming a day when it's not about this, but it's about that. And he starts to make allusions that one day maybe things would be different. We jump ahead to the very end of his uh, life or ministry here on earth. It's after his death, his resurrection. One of the last things that he says, we're finally now in the book of Acts, but not Acts 10 yet. We're in Acts 1-8. It's the thesis statement of the whole book of Acts. Jesus, one of his last things that he says to his followers, he says, but you, church, but you followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus starts to paint an expanding picture. Now, does that sound like any passage that you've heard in the last five minutes? Yeah, of course it does. Acts 1.8 is just Jesus saying, hey, remember, Jewish people, what my father told you 2,000 years ago. Remember Genesis 12. Remember that last part of the promise that is still unfulfilled. Remember that there's coming a day where it's not just you, Jewish people, nation of Israel. It's not even just the half-blooded Samaritans. I know you don't like them. It's going to be all people. And for most of us in the room, me included, this is a big deal. If you're Jewish, this is still like a groundbreaking thing. But if you're not Jewish, like me, like most of you, this is the game-changing passage. This is the game-changing promise. Because the greatest and the only God in the universe once had a relationship with only one kind of people, and it was his set-apart people. But there was coming a day, and there was coming a man that would usher in that promise and that blessing, not just to one nation, but to all nations, not just to one people, but to all people. And we start to see this, and if you've been around, in Acts 2, we see something really significant happens. The Holy Spirit comes, and he comes to Jerusalem. He comes and he fills a bunch of Jewish men and women, and it becomes the first church. We would call them Christians. They weren't known as that then, but they become the first group of people that really start to follow Jesus, and they were all Jewish, and it all was in Jerusalem. And then in Acts 8, we see this start to expand. We see a Samaritan, which was half Jew, half Gentile, and they weren't really liked by the Jews, but something extraordinary happens and the second part of Acts 1-8 comes true, and all of a sudden a Samaritan is starting to follow Jesus. And the half-blooded uh, Jews start to accept maybe there's, maybe there's more than just us. And we go through this whole narrative with the understanding that anybody could find Jesus, but first you must become Jewish. First you have to adhere to our law. You have to go through circumcision. You have to go through a certain kind of baptismal rite. Everybody thought, yeah, eventually you can find Jesus, but only after you become Jewish. And it seems like, we can only uh, attest to this or, or guess on this, but it seems like 
Most of these followers, early followers of Jesus, or especially the Jewish race, had forgotten the prophecies and the promises that one day, at some point, all people were going to be blessed. They'd forgotten things like Genesis 12. They'd forgotten some of the things Isaiah had prophesied. And that finally brings us to Acts 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come back up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. And I think we have a map of Joppa, Caesarea. Google mapped it, 13-hour walk. Uh, so this is a little more than a day's journey. And so he is uh, up in Caesarea, and he send, sends his men, because this guy's important. Cornelius was over 100 men himself, and he was part of a legion that was over 6,000 soldiers. This guy is a big deal, and he sends men from the top of Israel, from Caesarea, all the way down to Joppa to find this man, Peter. Keep in mind, Cornelius is not a Jew. It says he was righteous and God-fearing, but he's not a Jew. And keep in mind or notice that God responds to a non-Jewish person, but to someone that's described as righteous. Someone that's described as holy. Um, this is a little bit of an aside, but we talk a lot about the supernatural here. We believe that God is a supernatural God and uh, that miracles and signs and wonders and even him speaking weren't just relegated to biblical times, but actually it still happens today. And, and what I've noticed in all my many years, one thing I've noticed is that the supernatural often moves through people that have two distinct qualities. Don't you want to know what they are? Yeah. <laughs> I bet you do. Uh, accident. No, I'm just kidding. I've noticed, and this is, again, just my assumption, but I can defend it with Scripture, that God seems to move most readily through people that are hungry and holy. People that are hungry and holy. People that are not content with the amount of God that they have. They want more of God. They're not just in it for like, we're going to see God move, we're going to go to church on Sunday, we might give a little if we feel compelled. No, these people are hungry for more of God. And, and this is what we see about Cornelius, and people that are holy. And uh, religiosity has hijacked that word. Holiness actually is still a goal. I don't know if we knew that. <laughs> Holiness is still like what we're after. And it means certain things to certain people, but holy just means set apart. It means living righteous lives. And so I've noticed, and of course, God is moving through all kinds of people, and he radically encounters people that are in the midst, in the middle of their sin. That happens. But most often, we see God move through people that are hungry and people that are pursuing holiness. Um, a, couple a few weeks ago, we prayed for miracles, and, uh, and I should have shared this earlier. We, uh, there was a girl here who is her first time, and she, had, uh, uh, she has a rod in her knee, and it's uh, constantly aching, it's always sore, she wakes up and it's really stiff. And I was texting with her this week, it's been I think like six or eight weeks, and uh, we prayed for her. Uh, we actually even like prayed that the rod would be removed. Um, and her knee has not hurt in six weeks. Yes, 
And so sometimes we're like, man, I wish God would move in me, or I wish God would move in my church. He's already doing it. That means, I mean, it was right over here. God at one point was right there on someone's knee. We're not just praying, God, would you please come? It's like, God, you've been here. Do it again. God, we want more. Lord, we want more. We want to see more signs and wonders. We want to see more people coming into the reality of Jesus and his risen uh, body. We want to see more people coming into faith in that. And we're waiting on, I'm like super impatient. I keep asking her if she'll go get like an x-ray because I actually don't think that rod's there, but there's no way I'm reporting that until I have the x-ray. So to be continued, but uh, something has changed in her knee. And so Cornelia sends servants on that 13-hour walk, and it says in Acts 10, at about noon the following day, as they were still on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat while the meal was being prepared, and he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down from the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time and said, Do not call anything not just food, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this is classic Leviticus 11. Peter knows it. Peter knows what's coming down before him. This is all the stuff I've never eaten. This is all the stuff I'm never supposed to eat. And he assumes at the beginning, this is a test of my faithfulness. This is God testing to make sure that I really care until the very end. When God says something uh, particularly intriguing, he said, Peter, don't call anything not just food, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And so after Peter wakes up from this trance, and you can read this, he goes with the men, they go all the way back up to Caesarea, and he walks into Cornelius' house, which was a huge deal. As a Jew, you don't walk into a Gentile's house. There's unclean things all over the place. This would have been a no-no, but God told him to do it, and it seemed like Peter's starting to pick up on this. It seemed like God was maybe doing a new thing. So Acts 10, 27, it says, While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or even visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And notice that Peter makes the connection. He heard it about food, but now he's changed his language to anyone. God has made it clear that I should not call anyone unclean. In verse 28, um, it's probably not up in your living room, but it is a pivotal verse in the New Testament and in the message of God, where Peter says, okay, we have this law, and I know it's worth keeping, like I'm supposed to keep this, but God, but God seems to be doing something differently. And Peter has what I would describe as like a moment of clarity, a moment where uh, he understood things before this, and they weren't necessarily incorrect, but he started to get a little bit more information that changed everything. Um, Have you ever had a moment of clarity like that, where like everything you believed wasn't necessarily wrong, but it was incomplete? Um, I have. The stakes were much lower than the gospel going to the rest of the world, but I, uh, before Catherine and I moved to Cincinnati, we, uh, we didn't have to get here at a certain time. We had already left Las Vegas, so we decided to go live in Europe. 
And uh, I know, it's awesome. And uh, so we lived in Barcelona, but before we got there, we just were hopping around a bunch of different places. And one night we were in Berlin and we were walking along the Berlin Wall and there was like a large gathering of really loud Russians playing some kind of a game. And this sounds like the beginning of some like dirty joke. It's not. <laughs> so I'm at the Berlin Wall, it's a bunch of Russians. And, uh, and we're walking and they, they seem to be like throwing dice. And I know I'm pastor, but I also came from Vegas and I'm like, I get dice games. I understand what's happening. Uh, and, or I, I bet I can understand what's happening. So I walk up. Uh, we walk up, and I start watching the game, and it's not a dice game. It's like the most simple game that you've seen depicted on TV or movies. It's three cups, one ball, and all you do is you just follow where the ball is. And I'm watching, everyone's yelling, everyone's playing, and money's just trading hands. All, I mean, it was, like, it was like a movie. It was awesome. And uh, I later found out this is illegal, and as soon as a cop would show up, they would, like, scatter. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm watching the ball like three or four times in a row as other people are, are betting on this, and I'm winning in my mind. I'm like, oh, that was the one I chose. And I'm watching other people choose the exact same cup, and they're putting like a 50 euro out there, and they're getting back 100. Everybody was winning. And I'm like, Catherine, I, uh, and at this point, I was finishing seminary. I didn't have, <laughs> what? I, uh, I, I wasn't really working. Catherine, this was like pre, she got a promotion a couple years ago. We're like living pretty, we're going to be fine, but we're on quite the budget, so gambling uh, wasn't really in that budget. But I was like, Catherine, I'm winning this game. Like, I'm watching, and I'm winning every time in my head. And I was like, I think I want to play. And uh, so I get a 50 euro out, and, uh, and they're like, you want to play? I don't know. That wasn't the Russian accent. But they're like, you want to play? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. And so I'm holding my 50, and, uh, and you couldn't, I don't know if anybody else heard it, because it's not really a German song, but I started to hear Eye of the Tiger, just slowly. <laughs> and I, uh, all the eyes are on me, but my eyes are fixed on that ball and on that cup. And this guy moved faster than he'd ever moved. <laughs> He's going everywhere, but guys, I got it. I still knew where that ball was, and he looked at me and he said, which one? And he, you know, he has two hands here, and it's the middle one. And I said, oh, it's the middle one. And I watched him really quickly, but not too quick, because I saw he lifts the cup up slightly and shoots the ball into the left-hand cup. And then he lifts up the middle cup, and he's like, not there, you lose. And, uh, and I'm like, what? I was like, I just saw you move the ball. Like, you moved it after the game. And he's like, nope, you lose. And I'm not worried at this point, because I look around, and like, there's so many witnesses. And, uh, and everyone's like, you lose. I'm about to like restart the Cold War. I, uh, I'm like, I didn't lose. Like, you just moved it after the fact. And, and, what, and then I'm looking around for like, surely somebody saw that little flip of the, I mean, Catherine saw it. And, uh, and so what starts to happen is everybody starts to close in on me. All of these people that had won money before start to move closer, about 20 Russians, two little Americans, and every second they're getting about a foot closer to me, telling me that I lose as I'm still holding on to my 50 euro. And I had a moment of clarity. These people weren't winning money. They were just trading money until some stupid tourist came around <laughs> to play that game. And I had a choice. I could fight 20 Russians, let's go Rocky, or we could leave. I left, yeah, just what you'd expect. 
And, uh, and I remember walking away, and Catherine was so angry. Catherine doesn't get angry. I'm so angry. And we're both so angry at this mob. And then like 30 seconds in, her anger shifts to the person that's dumb enough to play this game and get scammed by a bunch of people at the Berlin Wall. It was an expensive lesson uh, that I learned, and I'll forever, I think we have a picture, I don't know if you showed, Catherine and I at the Berlin Wall. This is pre-me losing our money. This is while we're still happy. But I, and it's the clearest moment I've ever had where it's like, oh, I get it now. I thought, and I knew I could win that game, until there was a moment when it's like, oh, these people weren't winning. This was all a scam, hence why it's illegal. Peter, again, way, worth way more than 50 euro. Peter has a decision here. It's a moment of clarity where everything he believed up until that point was true, but partially incomplete. And he has a decision. Do I actually want to move towards this? Do I want to move towards something that what I've known is way different than that? And this has monumental consequences to the church and to following Jesus, but it seems like God's doing a new thing. And so Cornelius uh, welcomes him into his house, and you can read about this, and he says, you know, here's this vision that I had. I saw, I saw a man, an angel came to me, and he told me to send for you, and you're supposed to tell me the message of God. We want to hear what God has to say through you. And Peter goes and launches into this sermon, and he starts to uh, tell them the gospel of Jesus. And he says something that's interesting at one point in verse 34, and you can read about it, but he says something in 34. He says, I now see God does not have favorites. I now see God does not show favoritism. And he's starting to piece it together. And I'm guessing, and this is just my guess, but I'm guessing he starts to remember some things that he had kind of blocked out that didn't make sense before. I mean, this is uh, Peter. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. And I'm guessing he starts to remember some weird instances that they had had together. Like this pure Jewish rabbi once like had a conversation with a Samaritan woman. She like told the whole village that he was the son of God. That was weird. That was strange. I couldn't believe that he interacted with a woman or with a Samaritan. That seems different. And then maybe Peter remembers the time that the unclean woman, the woman with the issue of blood, somebody that would have made him ceremonially unclean, it's unspoken of as a rabbi, touched his garment, and instead of Jesus getting mad, he said, your faith has healed you. I wonder if Peter starts to have flashbacks to all of the things that Jesus had said before. Mark 7, what goes in, not what comes out. I wonder if if Peter starts to put the pieces together. I wonder if he remembers the promise that was made to his ancestor 2,000 years before that. That he's going to not just bless this nation, but he's going to bless all nations. Guys, what is incredible about Acts 10 and the story of God is it's just one story. I know, 66 books, some of it's confusing, seems like there's a God with a a bit of a personality complex. Actually, it's just one story about one character who is on this incredibly radical mission to reconcile all people to himself. There's just one character, there's just one story, and it's woven throughout years and years of prophecies. In Luke 2, the same author of Acts Uh, In Luke 2, it's usually just read at Christmas, uh, but uh, Luke records something that the angel says before Jesus is born, or right after Jesus is born to shepherds. This is Luke 2.10. It says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. And we'll stop right there. Of course, you know how it ends, but good news that brings great joy. 
We've heard of that. Caesar Augustus was supposed to bring great news. Other kings were supposed to bring joy. And Caesar did bring good news to some. And kings did bring great joy to the rich. And other kings and emperors and leaders and even religious figures brought good things to some. See, the radical part of Jesus' coming wasn't that there was a baby born that was supposed to bring good news. The radical part in this day was that he brought good news of great joy for all people. That's the radical part of Jesus. That's one of the radical parts of Jesus coming to earth is not just that he was here and he was a great teacher and he had some followers. Other people had done that. It's that Jesus brought this reconciliation message not just for some, but for all people. And Luke is announcing, and he does it again in Acts 10, but in Luke 2, he's announcing there is reconciliation available. There is coming together that's available. And the greatest reconciliation of all, it's God to man. But then he says also, because of this, the implications of this is that there can be reconciliation also between man and man. This passage flies in the face of so many things that we see in culture. And Peter starts to preach this message, and here's where it's blown wide open. In verse 43 and 44, he's finishing his sermon. It's his closing point. Band's starting to play. And he says, All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And it's while Peter was still speaking. He didn't even get a finish. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. God came to all who heard the message. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the message. This all crashes into so many barriers that are in society. This all crashes into race, racism, nationalism, it crashes into so many things that are going on in our world. This all changes the game for everyone always. So to one side, racism and nationalism cannot stand. It has no footing. It's incongruent with the message of Jesus and his church. That probably deserves an amen. Jesus, the news of Jesus, is incongruent with racism and nationalism. Amen. And... On, the, on another side, another group of people, to my universal friends, I agree. Jesus doesn't seem like he is just up there saying, you're in, you're out, and he's a bully. I totally agree. It seems like there is a kind Jesus who is inviting all. That's the message of this. But what if, what if Jesus isn't the bully that's keeping people out? What if we are the bullies that are choosing to not go in? Because as I read Acts 10, it seems like everyone's invited. It seems like Jesus has blown open the gospel for all. It's what flies in the face of so many of the things that are going on today. And it seems like there's an open invite that is our chance to respond to. It's not that he only wants some in and others not. It's that we have to first humble ourselves, admit our brokenness, and come to him. The story of Acts 10, the story of Jesus, the story of the gospel is that Jesus came to us. Jesus found us out. Jesus has been longing for a relationship, not just with some, but with all people. Jesus has died and been resurrected to reconcile everyone to himself. And if you are a gracious, 
honest, lovable, patient, generous person, I have bad news. You are still not good enough. Unfortunately, the only standard to get to God is perfection. As wonderful as you are, the news of falling short is not just for some. The news of falling short is for all people. And if you are dishonest, angry, you used drugs this week, you've doubted God, you've had multiple sexual partners, I have good news for you. You're still not bad enough. If you've done things I can't even say up here, you are still not bad enough. Because the lone requirement to come to God is humble brokenness. This news of redemption is not just for some. It's not just for the religious. It's not just for the people that already have a head start and are nice and gracious and loving. It's for all people. And he's calling each one of us to something. He's calling the skeptic or the apathetic, if that's you, he's calling you home. He's calling you into relationship with himself. And to the believer, to the Christian, to us, he's not just talking to them. He's talking to you too. He's inviting you to be revived. He's inviting you to come alive again. He's inviting you to wake up. He's inviting you into more of himself. Because if you want God, I don't need to know anything about you, but if you want God, my guarantee is that there's more of him available. You haven't hit the end of your God quotient. You haven't had so much of him that you can't have more. I promise you there is more of God available. And this story has been woven, and there's still moving over 4,000 years. Over 4,000 years, there's been prophecies and promises and dietary restrictions that have led to a moment where Jesus has come and he's died and he's been resurrected, not just for some, not just for uh, that race or this people, but for all people. And this story culminates with that resurrection. But Acts 10 is where the resurrection goes global. And it comes to those of us that are not Jewish. It comes to those of us that have no heritage in this before that. And that is good news. That is really, really good news that anyone can come to the Father. And, uh, and if you've heard certain things, I want to encourage you. Don't believe um, what the hyper-religious have said. This news actually is for all people. Don't believe what the lukewarm has told you either. This is going to cost you something. And please, 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 don't, forget, don't believe what the news has said because the core of this message is nothing but love. And so there's an invitation this morning Uh, not just for those that are far off, but for those of us that would call ourselves near, that there's more of God. There is so much more of God. And what happened in Acts 10 is not just one chapter of that book. What happened in Acts 10 is monumental for those of us that were not grafted in before, for those of us that wouldn't have made the cut likewise. The message of Jesus is now for all, and all are welcome. And guys, we want to reflect on this. We also want to celebrate it. This is great, great news. It's great news that he's called us near so that we can have relationship. And so uh, the way we end every service is there's always the Lord's table um, that's available for those of us that are followers of Jesus. It's a way that we remember his death and resurrection. Also, there's going to be people to pray uh, with you behind these two panels. My encouragement to you would be to respond how you need to. 
Don't just assume this is for someone else because this, if there's any message this morning, it's for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. This message is for everyone. And there's more of him available to each of us. And specifically, I'll say, if, uh, if this isn't you, if this has not been a relationship you've had before, um, I'd love to talk. And uh, if God's been knocking on the door of your heart, asking to come in, I promise you, I promise you, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Let's worship.